Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series on the impacts of emerging regulations on supply chain compliance. This series is sponsored by Ascent Compliance. Ascent Compliance provides cloud-based SaaS solutions that help companies manage their supply chain data, facilitate stakeholder and supply chain education on regulatory and program requirements, and increase transparency between businesses. Ascent helps companies overcome the challenge of meeting their compliance business requirement. Finally, Ascent streamlines the data exchange process for suppliers, making it easier for them to comply with their customers' data requests. For more information, check out their website, ascentcompliance.com. In this special five-part podcast series, I visit with several members of the Ascent team to take a look at this topic review human trafficking and slavery developments, supply chain risk management programs, CSR value propositions, the current state of responsible mineral sourcing, and scaling up to meet challenges today, tomorrow, and down the road. It's a fascinating series that I know you will enjoy. In this first episode, I visit with Kate Dunbar. Kate is the subject matter expert for Ascent Compliance in human trafficking and slavery. We take a look at the current and evolving HTS landscape. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and we are here for part one of our five-part exploration of emerging regulations and their impact on the supply chain. Today, I have with me Kate Dunbar. She is the, let me pull this up. Senior Business and Human Rights Analyst for Ascent. She's worked in a wide variety of organizations and is a true subject matter expert on this field. So, Kate, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, today we wanted to take up the uh, general topic of uh, human rights, human trafficking, and slavery regulation and explain really from your perspective, uh, how does that look, how how has it changed, and how will it change? So what does it look like today, and what may it look like tomorrow? Great question, Tom. Thank you. I always like to sort of frame this discussion by, you know, just reminding everyone that slavery is by no means a new issue. Um, it's, it's a very long-standing issue. Um, however, the, the reason why I think it's so important to talk about this issue today is because it impacts business hugely. And to sort of understand why and how, I'd like to start off with sort of painting an overview of current and emerging uh, regulations, so regulatory requirements that companies face uh, today to address modern slavery and supply chains. And to help um, people understand those requirements, I tend to categorize them into buckets, right? So since 2015, we've seen between one and three laws related to human trafficking and slavery being being enacted every single year. So that's a lot of requirements that companies have to understand and uh, comply with um, in today's world. So first of all, we have what I call transparency laws. So these are laws that require companies in scope to uh, disclose what efforts, if any, they are taking to address the issue of modern slavery, both in their operations and in their supply chain. So I'll give you some examples. Uh, We have the California Transparency and Supply Chains Act, which was the first of its kind, came out in 2012. 
Then we had in 2015 the UK Modern Slavery Act that was enacted. Um, since then, we've had the uh, very recently we've had the Australian Modern Slavery Act, and there's uh, there's also a, a Corporate Transparency Act that's un, in, under consideration in the US uh, right now. So there are those transparency laws, and then a second bucket of laws are. Um, usually uh, referred to as trade laws. And, and I'm going to talk mainly about the U.S. here. So in the U.S., it is now illegal. It's you know prohibited to import goods into the U.S. that have been made with forced labor, with child labor, or indentured labor. And this is made possible, this ban is made possible via the, the Trade Facilitation and Trade Enforcement Act. This is, this is huge, right? If you are a company that sells or imports goods into the U.S., the onus is on you to conduct due diligence, um, to be able to show enforcement agencies, if you have to, that your goods weren't made involving those human rights violations. Um, a third bucket of regulations that we have related to, to human trafficking and slavery and human rights generally are what, what are called the mandatory human rights due diligence laws. And this is really interesting because because this is where we're heading, right? We've gone from sort of transparency laws to, and now we're moving towards mandatory due diligence. In other words, laws that are obligating companies in scope to take robust action to identify and mitigate risks of human trafficking and other human rights violations from uh, within their supply chains. The first country to, to, to enact this type of law when it comes to human rights was France. And so they have their, their duty of vigilance law. Um, not a huge amount of companies are in scope, but it's an important one because other uh, countries are looking to this law. So if we look at the, the, the European Union in particular, we have Germany, we have Sweden and Italy that are all considering um, enacting their own um, version of a mandatory human rights due diligence law. And then at the European Commission uh, level as well, uh, there, there are efforts underway to sort of consider whether, you know, such legislation should be at the EU level. And we have a UN working group, um, the Working Group on Business and Human Rights, which is pushing for um, this type of legislation as well. So for companies out there thinking, okay, I, I kind of understand what the legislation looks like right now and how we're impacted, but what is ahead, um, they, they should be looking towards that, right? Uh, mandatory human rights due diligence laws that go beyond just looking at modern slavery and look at sort of wider human rights. So that's that's for the regulatory requirements, but that's really just one part of the, of the puzzle. So when companies are thinking, you know, how, how should we be understanding this issue? How should we be protecting our business? You, you can't just think about the regulations. You have to also look at the, the vast array of other requirements and expectations that are that are facing and impacting businesses right now. And I'll give you some examples. The, the space of public procurement is a really important one. Um, there are obviously many companies that are super dependent on their public procurement contracts. And one good example uh, of such an industry would be the medical device and medical equipment industry, uh, who are heavily reliant on um, you know, public procurement with national health systems around the world. You may be familiar with the, the UK NHS, so the national health uh, system in the UK. So... The UK um, NHS a few years back decided to sort of establish their own um, framework of requirements uh, looking at labour standards. So what happened is a few years ago, um, investigations found that there were high levels of child labour being used in the manufacturing of surgical scissors in Pakistan and high levels of forced labour being used in the manufacturing of rubber gloves in Malaysia. And this was, of course, going straight into the supply chain of the UK National Health uh, Service. 
which was not acceptable. And so now we have these contractual requirements whereby if you are selling to the UK NHS, you need to have a management system in place um, to make sure that labour rights are being protected in your operations and supply chains. And if you, you will be like companies in scope are audited against these requirements, if they don't meet requirements, they risk losing their contracts. And this is huge for, for companies in that space, right? So there's one example, the sort of customer requirements and public uh, procurement uh, requirements that relate to human trafficking and slavery. Uh, and then we have industry initiatives or, or initiatives that are led by huge customers. So one example would be Walmart, um, also linked to Aldi in the UK. So Walmart has its own responsible um, responsible um, a procurement program. Um, and so essentially they have their own standards in place looking at human rights, modern slavery, etc. It's a big issue and a priority for them. And they are cascading those requirements, those standards down throughout their supply chain. So th there's an example, right? If you sell, if your company is selling to Walmart, um, you will be at a disadvantage and at a risk if you are not able to, to show compliance with those requirements, which are not regulatory in nature, but are just as important to, to your business. Hey, the, um, um, if I could actually uh, ask you now about, and you may have been getting ready to talk about this, in, in addition to the, not, or the regulatory requirements, how about the public perception and uh, the amplification through social media of expectations of literally a generation of consumers. Yeah, I'm really glad that you asked that because that, that's, a, that's a huge part of what companies need to be thinking about uh, when they're thinking about protecting their business from risks related to human trafficking and slavery. Often we talk about regulations when we talk about compliance, but, but it goes so much further here. And you're right, reputational damage and the financial um, risk attached to reputational damage is, is huge in this, in this area. Uh, and I'll give you a few examples. So, you know, I just talked a bunch about regulations. Regulations, one might argue, are nothing if there is not enforcement. And I can talk about enforcement of, you know, via regulatory bodies later, if you like. But not all of these laws were established um, with the purpose or with the intent of regulatory enforcement. In some cases, they are established with the knowledge that civil society and the media will then sort of task themselves with enforcement. So I'll, I'll give you some examples. In the UK, you know, you have the UK Modern Slavery Act, whereby companies in scope need to post a statement on their website saying what they're doing, if anything, to you know, address this issue. This is then accessible by the public, by civil society. They can take that information. They can benchmark companies against against their you know other uh, competitors. Um, and if your statement does not tell the right story as a company, then that opens you up to scrutiny. Just in the last, I mean, if I look back over the last three years, hundreds of companies have hit the headlines for the wrong reasons when it comes to human trafficking and slavery. We've seen it with, um, you know, slave labor in the in the fishing industry. Um, that that came about uh, in a big way about three years ago, and it's just come up again now. So in the past week, I've read at least three articles from major newspapers in the UK and the US talking about slavery in the supply chains of um, sort of big retailers selling selling uh, tuna, canned tuna. 
And just this week, a benchmark report came out looking at uh, modern slavery uh, in the supply chains of 28 companies selling tuna. This is not good for business. This is not good for companies' reputation. And it has an impact on their ability to sort of attract investment uh, and to retain business. And I say attract investment because increasingly we know that investors are using you know, environmental and social and governance criteria, including, you know, how companies are addressing modern slavery. They're using this criteria in their decision making in, in deciding who they want to do business with. Um, you talked about consumers. Customers care more than ever before um, about what they're buying and how what they're buying has impacted the lives of people who have produced that, that product or that good, right? Customers today want to know, did this lipstick, hairbrush, whatever, did it have a positive impact on the people who made it or a negative one? So there's some research that came out recently um, showing that two thirds of consumers globally are prepared to spend more on sustainable brands and that 87% of uh, consumers, uh, shoppers in the US will buy products that they perceive as having social benefits or have, having benefited uh, society at large. Kate, if I could uh, maybe flip the last question a little bit by asking you, how to take, how does a supply chain compliance professional take the information that you've articulated for us, synthesize that into a compliance program that, one, meets the various requirements of laws, rules, and regulations across the globe, but also, and perhaps more interestingly, gives them a true business advantage going forward? Yeah, great question. I think that the answer to that is to not just think about human trafficking and slavery as a compliance, pure compliance topic, right? If you as a company are thinking, right, which one of these regulations am I in scope of? What does this require? And then you stop there, then you're missing half the picture. Not only are you not protecting yourself against, you know, the, the risks uh, such as the reputational and brand damage risks that we discussed, but you're also not setting yourself up for competitive advantage. So if we look at the broad, I, I would recommend, you know, looking at the broad array of requirements and expectations, not just from uh, a regulatory point of view, but also a customer and investor and consumer point of view. Like what are your important stakeholders expecting and requiring of you as a business? Take that and build your compliance and due diligence program off of that. And what that means is essentially you should be aligning yourself with the UN guiding principles on business and human rights. Now, most of us have heard of the, or many of us have heard of the UN guiding principles. That doesn't mean to say that we all know practically how do we implement them? What does that mean? So I'll try and break that down a little bit. What does robust due diligence look like? Robust due diligence means that if you are ever approached by enforcement officials, investors, consumers, or other stakeholders with questions about how your goods were made and whether they were made ethically, you need data. At the end of the day, you need data. You need to be able to have a process in place to collect and assess and respond to data from your supply chain so that you can confidently say our products were not made um, you know, with modern slavery. Or if there are risks, you can respond to those risks and you can show that you have done so. So what you need is a defensible process, one that stands up to scrutiny, that is consistent. And for that, what, you know, what our recommendation always is, um, is look at standards. What standards exist um, you know, to support uh, you establishing and implementing your compliance and due diligence program? When it comes to human trafficking and slavery, the standard is 
the STRT, the Slavery and Trafficking Risk Template. So that's one part of a wider due diligence program. But essentially, you use that template. It's it's open source and it's freely available online at sraglobal.org. You can use that to send to your suppliers, collect the data you need to address to assess not only uh, compliance uh, or non-compliance, but also risk. And that enables you to sort of take more targeted action and, and protect uh, your business. So, so in a nutshell, it's really about getting the information from your suppliers that you need and taking appropriate action based on that data so that you can, you can protect your business. Kate, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but uh, I've been visiting today with Kate Dunbar. We've been taking a look at the human slavery and trafficking landscape. I hope you'll join us tomorrow for our uh, second episode in this five-part series, where I visit with Jared Connors about instituting a broader supply risk management program. Kate, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Impacts of Emerging Regulations on Supply Chain Compliance. I hope you join us again tomorrow for our next episode. This podcast series is sponsored by Ascent Compliance. You can learn more about Ascent Compliance by checking out their website, www.ascentcompliance.com. This special five-part podcast series has been a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.